This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Liverpool Blood Red podcast. I'm Connor Dunn, and today I'm your host. For those watching on YouTube, you know we'll be in this delicately balanced studio with the game of not having microphones fly up into our face. <laughs> For those listening, um, have a little watch of that if you can find any clips. It's quite amusing. And I am joined today by Paul Gorst, full-time Liverpool sports correspondent. Now, both home and away. How are you? Yes, very good. Uh, counting down the days and the hours till the return of Premier League football, which is getting closer, but still too far away for my liking. So, uh, yeah, just biding me time, I suppose. Absolutely. Kiva, how are you and how are you finding this international very break? Very good, yeah. And I think I need a break from the international break. I think everyone's feeling like that. Usually I enjoy it because Liverpool is in such a commanding position. We can just sit back and just yeah. be, you know, not uns, but no, not this time. I've been literally like Paul counting the days down. Yeah, well, sadly, we are in the absolute depths of an international break and it is not until Friday when proper football returns of a press conference and we'll be back with all sorts of podcasts and exciting news for you all. <clears throat> but in the meantime, we're going to do a special end of decade podcast for you all today. But before we get on with that and before I explain what's about to happen, Paul, we've got a little bit of injury news, haven't we? There was a little bit of worry before this international break and Mohamed Salah, Andy Robertson, Salah was pictured in a boot, obviously out of his mm. Egypt team. And you've got a little update on them, haven't you? Yes, uh, Joe Gomez is winning his race. Um, he withdrew, withdrew from the England squad over the weekend yeah. after picking up a knee injury in training. Um, spoke to one or two people today and being told that um, he should be fine. It was just a clash of knees and it's unlikely to keep him out of the game against Crystal Palace on Saturday. So that's if that's the good news, I suppose the bad news is Robertson and Salah are still doubtful. Uh, obviously both picked up ankle injuries and Salah's been struggling with his now for best part of six weeks hasn't he since that tackle from Hamza Chowdhury on the 5th of October I think in the 2-1 win against Leicester so he uh, was desperate to go to Egypt um, after the Manchester City game got it checked out by the physios and got put in a protective boot didn't he and I think I think that boot if you've seen the pictures of it it looks like it looks like a bit of a moon boot doesn't it and I think a lot of fans were a little bit worried about the sight of that but I think it was just a a cautionary thing. Um, he's back on May's side now. He's getting rehabbed and looked at by the club physios, um, which should be today at Melwood as well. Um, but he's still a doubt. Um, so we might have a little bit more on him later this week, and I'm pretty sure Jürgen Klopp will give the state of play on Friday. Hopefully by then it will have, have cleared up significantly. Uh, but Andy Robertson's in the same boat. He's another one with ankle injuries. He was desperate to go to Scotland for their games at Cyprus and Kazakhstan. But... Um, he, he was reluctantly forced to withdraw because of, of an ankle issue so uh, both of those two are doubtful for Palace as it stands but Joe Gomez should be okay Okay yeah well obviously that's not saying we hope for better news for Salah and Rumpson as the week goes on and obviously you know with top physios and everything like that things can change these injuries especially when they're only you know pretty minor you can obviously change so quickly and obviously we hope for good news but anyway starting as we need to go on um, the decade um, we are almost at the end of a decade from 2010 to 2020 um, and what we're going to do is we're going to go through our team of the decade a player of the decade a goal of the decade and the moment of the decade so I want to start with player and I want it to be the you know your individual who has stood out the most in this whole decade this whole period that you know has been outstanding has it been Van Dijk has it been Suarez you know what what do you think Paul? I went for Luis Suarez because I think I mean, just an absolute genius of a footballer, wasn't he? Um, he could do anything with the football. He was probably 
the most purely talented footballer I've ever seen in Liverpool shirt, and, I, and I'll always stay. Stephen Gerrard was 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 the best, and Robbie Fowler was my childhood hero. But in terms of actual talents, I, I think I'd have to go for Suarez. And um, it was an absolute shame that he only left Liverpool in <clears throat> 2014 with one League Cup winners medal to to his, his trophy haul. He scored 31 goals, was it in 2013-14, and almost dragged Liverpool to the. Premier League title, um, so many different types of goals, headers, free kicks, volleys, left foot, right foot. Um, just an absolute tour de force of a footballer. And there were several who could rival him, actually, when we came to picking our player of the decade. Players like Virgil van Dijk and, and Salah and, and Sadio Mane and pretty much half of the, the squad at the moment. But I just thought, on overall balance, uh, I ended up plumping for Luis Suarez. Yeah, I, I would certainly agree. You know, what that man couldn't do with a football and what we saw at Anfield week after week was just absolutely magnificent home in a way you just as you say almost single-handedly dragged Liverpool to a Premier League title and it was just that season was just absolutely yeah. crazy yeah. and yeah as an individual talent I, I would I would have to agree but Bakiva have you got any different opinions do you think maybe one of this current setup who's you know Van Dijk I would argue has transformed Liverpool like no player has before almost yeah you do sort of want to pick someone because of obviously what happened, Champions League, yeah. stuff like that. And, you have tangible and, proof you know, of what they've there's, done. There's, there's yeah. something there, but I don't know, my heart just wants me to say Steven Gerrard just because he is, I think, and always will be the epitome of Liverpool Football Club. He embodied everything and, you know, he was a local lad and, you know, I just think, I know he didn't have the most successful, like the beginning of this decade that we're, we're seeing a close to now, but I just think... Don't know, just Gerard, isn't it? I mean, do we really need to explain what he means to the club? And you know, he was there, and he wasn't always surrounded by the best players. He obviously had Torres, and then we, he had Suarez in front of him. But they weren't always the best players. But he always just dug Liverpool out. He was at times Liverpool's only hope. And then in that season after, when we didn't win the Premier League in 2013-14, I just remember like him just being there just made us all feel better. And I know obviously what happened against Chelsea and stuff like that, but. I think, you know, I don't know, it's hard to, to look past for me that Liverpool's greatest ever player, just for, not in terms of trophies, because obviously we know there's players who've won a lot more at Liverpool Football Club than Gerrard, but I just think, like I said, he just encapsulates something, it's a spirit, it's a feeling, isn't it, of, you know, watching him hit one from long range and, you know, it's, I think you want to pick Van Dijk because he's absolutely transformed Liverpool's defence and just... And in a lot of ways, the mentality of, you know, even Alisson, you know, but I just don't think they've been here long enough, really. I know that sounds crazy, doesn't it? Because they've won the Champions League and it only takes a season to do that. But, yeah, I, I have to stick with Gerard. I think, just for sheer love. I, I, think, <clears throat> I think with Gerard, I think his, his best years were probably between 2003 and nine when Liverpool finished second and him and Torres were just two of the best players in the world at the time, weren't they? But <clears throat> he still played over half half of this decade. So I think I think Kiva's got got a very good shout. Yeah, I mean of, of saying saying Stephen Gerrard. You know, even though he, <clears throat> you could mention Van Dijk being Ballon d'Or favourites, which is virtually unheard of as a you know a Liverpool player and a centre back <clears throat> as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Liverpool have never actually had a Ballon d'Or winner. I, I, I've made this point a couple of times. Michael Owen won it in 2001 when it was recognised as the European Player of the Year. Yeah. But Kerry Daglish finished second in 83, 84, I think, one, either of those, uh, to Michel Platini. But Liverpool have never actually had a winner 
with that award. Um, so for Van Dijk to be the favourite for that now is just remarkable, really. And he's only been at Liverpool just over 18 months. So he, he, I imagine he's got a very good claim to it. But um, I, I think he's got a, got a good shout as well, actually, with, with Steven Gerrard, just for everything that he represents. Yeah, obviously so hard to look past him, isn't it? And But, you, you know, such is this... Liverpool team at the moment you're talking like such great players like Van Dijk yeah. like Mane like Firmino they've been here a little while <coughs> as well And but yeah I mean solid picks and with all of these if you can message any of us on Twitter if you think differently if you've got another player in mind then, then please do let us know because I'm sure we'd absolutely love to read them Do um, you feel a bit of a cop out like Gerard like it's easy answer isn't it nah, but I mean, it just it's, it's totally fair um, and I suppose coming on to that Suarez and Gerard both going to be concluded in your teams of the decade, I suppose. What we're going to try and do is going to come to a agreed 11. Um, but I'll start with the goalkeeper. And I feel, for me, I think that's a really easy one. I don't think we've had anywhere near as good a goalkeeper as Alice in this decade. No. Um, best goalkeeper I've seen at Liverpool. Bit too young for <clears throat> Bruce Crabble's heyday. Um, so for me, it, it has to be Alisson, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a bit of a brief shout isn't there I think for Pepe right? yeah, yeah of course yeah. But I think obviously the way his form sort of petered out towards the end of his Liverpool career I feel if he would have stuck around we might have won the league that year because he, he went on to play for Napoli and you know he, he's, still, he's still playing now you yeah. know um, I feel like we would have held on to him for a little bit longer and just rode that wave of just you know the bad performances and stuff I feel like we might have actually won the Premier League and then we'd look on Reina's time at Liverpool differently but Obviously, Alisson, I think, you know, after that first season, it doesn't even need, we don't even need to discuss it, do we, I yeah, think? Absolutely, fair enough. And I think, to be honest, for me, over this past decade as well, it's a, it's a very similar situation with the full-backs. Yeah, left-back's been a, a problem to play Liverpool for 25, 30 years, hasn't it? Um, John Aravisa was, was probably the, the best of those prior to Robertson. But the, the list of it is, you know... De Senna into uh, Fabio Aurelio was, was a very good player, but always injured. Moreno. Moreno, Delis Paul Koncheski. Yeah. The list goes on, doesn't Start it? Start the deck um, with wasn't he? Yeah, I mean, Liverpool won the Champions League with Jimmy Traore at left-back, who um, he he was he was never an, an elite left-back, was he? So, yeah, I mean, Andy Robertson is the, is the absolute top left-back in Europe for me, so uh, it has to be him. Yeah. Same for you. Yeah, no argument there, I think. And on the other side, it's, it's got to be Trent, hasn't it? Just for <laughs> what he's achieved, for what he is for Liverpool as well, for how he plays, for how he's that position made his own, his defensive, his attack. He's just all the qualities we list time after time on these podcasts. I, I think it's got to be the only choice. Yeah, when you when you think you're picking a team of a, from a, a decade and he's only had 100 appearances, 101 appearances... Yeah. And but, he's 21. Yeah, he's only only turned 21 last month. But everything he's already done in his career is just incredible. And I, I, I feel like I, I'm always beating the, the, the Trent drum at the moment, just how much, uh, I, how highly I rate him. And uh, yeah, he's just an absolute um, credit to, to the club. Um, I, I just wonder what he can achieve over, yeah, the, next, over the next 10 or 15 years at, at Liverpool. Um, top player. And not too many... Challenging them at right back, to be honest. Yeah, I think in ten years' time, when we're all a little bit older, the team of the decade, player of the decade, I think it'll be Trent, hundred percent. Like the way he's playing now, surely he's not going to leave Liverpool. You couldn't imagine it, really. It'd be heartbreaking if he did. I feel like you're looking at one of the best ever to play for the club already, which yeah. is just 
I just think he's got the absolute world at his feet right now. Mm. He, he can do whatever he wants, go wherever he wants, do whatever he wants. But like, you know, he's just that talented. He's got such a long time ahead of him. As long as he stays injury free, I, I just, it's, the heights will be insane. And I can't wait to see it, obviously. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, we've discussed about Virgil van Dijk already. He has to be one of the centre-backs. And I don't even think we even need to speak about van Dijk yeah. and how good he is. Um, who partners van Dijk for you? See, this was so fun for me, and I think I asked Theo at the time. So I wasn't sure who to put in. Jamie Carragher could could stake a claim, but he he was towards the end of his career in the early part of the decade. wasn't wasn't playing as regularly as, as he he would have liked under Brendan Rodgers, and retired in 2013. So after much thought, this is of course that we're having four in the back line. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I ended up picking Daniel Agger. Um, just because, I mean, he could have been, he could be a lot more highly regarded at Liverpool if he wasn't, uh, he didn't suffer so many injuries. Mm-hmm. But um, as a player, he, he was so good on the ball. Um, he was a very good defender, but he was just so so confident on the ball, wasn't he? He could dribble out of the fence, he could shoot, he could pass. Um, and I think other than, I, I mean... Obviously, Van Dijk is the one, but Liverpool haven't got loads of other choices. After they've got plenty who you'd consider decent, solid, good yeah. uh, centre backs, but not many approaching like a world world elite level. So I went for for Daniel Agger alongside Van Dijk. Yeah, fair enough. And what about you, Kiva? Did you say the same? Or it's a tricky one. I always loved Agger. Um, I think off the field as well, he, he just seemed to love Liverpool and I think he obviously still does. And that come across really well, but obviously he was a bit injury prone, wasn't he? And I think that hampered his career at Liverpool. But it, it's hard when you're looking back because you think Lovren is a bit of a shell for him, obviously. He's had his moments, hasn't he's been he? been here five years, hasn't he? So He's been here a long time and I think he sort of epitomises what it is to sort of just keep on fighting and, you know, this sort of... Lit- Spirit of this team now, you know, you Lovren could have been packed his bags and gone to Italy in the summer. Yeah, I mean, stuck you're around. thinking after that Tottenham game, you know, when he was dragged off to show the mental strength and the resilience to come back in the face of so much criticism from so many corners, professional and fan all over the place. But you know, he's again proved he's gone again, as we like to say, and he's proved that he is still, you know, a really good choice centre-back for Liverpool. So, yeah, I can understand that as a call. But would that be your choice? I have to say Joel Massip, I think. Just okay. for what he's doing right now. I know he's injured, obviously, but I I just feel like you can't, for what he done for that, that five, last five months of the season, was just incredible. And then, not only to do that, but he did continue it into this season. I just feel like it'd be hard to hard push to sort of look past him. I do feel a bit slice on Lovren, though, doing that, because I feel like he's been at the club longer. But... I think Matip just means more at this minute to the club and mm. obviously going forward and he come for free, didn't he? And, yeah. You know. Does this mean I have a deciding vote? I think yeah, so, you yeah. do. Oh gosh, and I wish I didn't host. Um, to be honest, if Aga hadn't had so many injuries, I think for Aga's talent, alongside Van Dijk in a team, for what he could do with a ball and, you know, pace and again, as you said, attacking ability as well, I think he would have been the perfect partner for him. But just the way that Joel Matip has stepped up and actually defended and brought Liverpool to a Champions League win, and you know, I think he's he's got to be in the team. And fair shout, fair shout. He, he loves a little fray forward, doesn't he? So, yeah. so, so our back five is 
Liverpool's back five now. Right now. Yeah. <laughs> it's the back five. I mean, we, this is the best team in the world, so what can you it's expect? Hard, it's hard to look past some of the positions in this team, though, because yeah. they are just so, so, so good right now. Um, stepping forward into the midfield. Well, I think we I think we need to agree on a formation, first and foremost. Well, yeah, because you could argue for three at the back, forget about Matip, have five in midfield. You know, it's tricky, yeah. but I think, you know, playing for a team, you have to have four at the back, don't you? In my opinion, yeah. you do anyway. Yeah. So I was, I, my formation would be 4-3-3, three, three, I suppose. Um, what do you think? Well, in the, in the written piece that, that's actually on our website at the moment, um, I went 4-3-3, three, three, but after a couple of Twitter comments and, and so on, I'm thinking maybe I should have went 4-2-3-1 to allow someone else who have left out, which we'll come to. Yeah, <laughs> um, Okay, we, we'll stick with the 4-3-3 three, three for now, yeah? Okay. Yeah, I think I'd go with that. It's Liverpool's current formation, isn't it? It's hard to not want to pick three up top, isn't it? Yeah. I think. Yeah. Well, first in the midfield for me, and here comes another one who's in Liverpool's current team, is Fabinho. I just don't <coughs> see how you could have a better defensive holding midfielder from this last decade than Fabinho has been for Liverpool. Probably one of the best I've seen in that position. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, Javier Mascherano left in the summer of 2010, did he? Yeah. Um, he was he, he was a world-class defensive midfielder when he was at his best, but wasn't at Liverpool long enough to, to show it in this part of the decade. It has to be Fabinho for me, yeah? yeah? No question. Yeah, I think... But then I think who I'd pick around that, he might fall out the midfield just because he hasn't been here long enough, but then he is the, probably the best in that position in the world right now. So it's hard because of the other people you want to put in the midfield as well. Okay. Feel like he might okay, tell you what, why don't you name who you'd have in your midfield then? Well, obviously Gerrard's. Yeah. Um, that's a given. And Henderson has to be in there, I think, because he's a European Cup winning captain. Mm-hmm. You know, that I think that just puts him in. And I think, like what I said about and Lovren, someone who's been he, there he, yeah, he's just forced, he's just too. kept on fighting for his whole career. He could have went to Fulham and, you know, he just, he, he wanted to stay and, you know, look what's happened. It's a fairy tale, really. Um and then who's my other midfielder that I would have had in? Might have to be Fabinho now, because <laughs> I was thinking when I was looking before, there was someone else, and I don't know who it would, be, who it would have been. Let me have a think. And then... I think I think we're just, we're just using Henderson. He's the, I think for the top the City game, he, he became the sixth Liverpool player to play 250 Premier League games. And he's the only one to have done it this decade, or the only one who's been playing since 2010 so um, you could make a, a case for him yeah um, I personally uh, I'm not having him in but what about you? I'm also going to leave him out but that is only on the basis of talent alone and the most talented possible 11 that I could pick I would leave Henderson out but who would you go for first? Well I've, got, I've gone for Fabinho I've gone for Gerard, and the third one in my midfield was Coutinho Yeah that is exactly the same midfield three as I'd pick just because I think a midfielder, you could argue for Henderson, absolutely, because, you know, he's been there a decade, he's won the Champions League, it's, you know, fought in the face of adversity, everything you could mention. But a midfield of Gerard, a midfield of Fabinho and a midfield of Coutinho gives you something totally different to Henderson. It's, it's more like your defensive, you've got some creativity in that midfield, which we just talked about so much the last season and a half, really. So, yeah, I, w- I would totally agree with that three. I think that's why I left it was Coutinho. And I just thought he's just too good to leave out, but I can't leave out a Champions League winning captain. Mm-hmm. So we've got two Champions League winning captains in, but I know 
he's probably going to Fabinho, and I don't mind because you know. Coutinho before he left the, the, his last like maybe three or four months of his Liverpool career, he was playing in the midfield three, wasn't he? He was pushed the furthest forward, and he, he was some of the yeah he, <laughs> yeah, he was he was incredible. I remember that performance against Brighton, um, against Swansea at Anfield. Just, just everything he was everything Liverpool were doing was, was going through him, and I think that that uh, I think Liverpool probably relied on him a little bit too much for. Certain aspects of their creativity. At the, yeah, we're just at that giving time. him the ball a lot at that time, yeah, weren't they? It, it was it was almost just like we know he can produce things. Let's just pass to him. Got got a bit stagnant, didn't it? Mm-hmm. They've had to obviously work out different ways since then, and, and have gone on to another level. But um, for what was he at Liverpool for January two thousand thirteen till January two thousand eighteen? Um, Five years. Yeah, yeah. There for half a decade, I, I thought he was, he was a fantastic player for Liverpool. Yeah, absolutely magic, and I think if you can settle with that, then. I'd be happy. Yeah, I'll let, I'll let yeah. it happen. Coutinho's obviously got to be in there, and I would put Henderson in just for you know. Yeah, and it's it's a fair shout, but I, I think I think that three is a better dynamic three than that three Henderson is more world class. You would say mm-hmm. of yeah. a world class, yeah. you know. But it's tough. You know, obviously, you're leaving out some great players, and I have no doubt this will cause some debate <laughs> for people listening to this because there is some serious talent that is not making this team somewhere <laughs> along the line. So, there we go. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. A front three. Um, you could argue for all of them right now, but I think Suarez has to be in there. I think he plays in the middle of my front three. See, this was the, dile- the dilemma I had. I initially had 4-3-3 and left Roberto Firmino out for Suarez, but when I was thinking about it, I thought, is there a shout to maybe take out Coutinho of Gerard and Fabinho as the two? And then... Firmino as as a number ten with Suarez leading the line. Obviously, Mane and Salah are on the wings, and that that was. It's, it's, it's tough. It is. It's it's very tough, isn't it? It's. It is. Um, yeah, I, I just just go with that ahead of Firmino. As much as a, I love him as a footballer, and as much as he as as much as he's important to this current Liverpool setup, um, I think I'd have Suarez in ahead of him. Yeah, it's exactly that. And I think for me, Firmino in this Liverpool team specifically is undeniably yeah. incredible, brilliant, excellent, whatever, all the superlative you could possibly list Firmino is to this specific Liverpool setup, to this formation, to how Liverpool play. I think in your world-beating all-time decade, well, all-time decade 11, I, I think Suarez just beats into that central striker role. And yeah, for me, Salah and Mane on the wings. I feel like you might disagree. Kira. I just feel like Firmino. I don't know. It's hard. You, you can't leave Suarez out, and you can't leave Mane, Mane or Salad out. But I just feel like Firmino came before Mane and obviously Salah, and I feel like he, he. I don't know his hunger and everything you see every game from him. You'll see in every game forever. I don't think he he'll ever stop playing the way he does. The energy he gives is just excellent, and I feel like he's more important than Mane and Salah. Okay. To Liverpool, so it's hard for me to just for his work rate and what he does. You've currently really got twelve players, though. <sighs> Can't we have them all? <laughs> I was going to put myself in, but I thought mm. holding mid yeah. next to Fabinho. I know. Um, so I'll relinquish it to Suarez and leave Fabinho out. But I just want people at home to know how important he is. I also want people to, to know that there's you know time we can make substitutions in a football game, and Fabinho definitely he's gets some game bench, time. Yeah. Someone, yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, anyway, so if we go run through the 11, it's the current back five. Yeah. It's Fabinho, it's Gerard, it's Coutinho. 
it's Suarez in the middle and it's Mane and Salah on the wing still. Yes, uh, one I mean, team. It speaks volumes about this team in the moment, doesn't it, really, to, you know, list so many players from the current setup. Well, there's only two we've named then. Gerard and Coutinho. And Suarez. Suarez, so three. Yeah. And they are, you know, three of the best players yeah. ever. So Yeah, but I think it speaks to how far Liverpool have come since the turn of the decade. If you yeah. think about January 2010, it was Benitez's last season. Liverpool were struggling a little bit. They were already out of the Champions League. Um, and... Didn't really look like they were. It looks like it was going to be an absolute fight to to finish fourth, which they eventually missed out on. And then they're ending the decade as European champions, Premier League leaders, surely, and um, best team in the world, arguably. Um, so what a what a what a transformation that is in, in ten years. Yeah, I think what we'll do at the end of this is just give a little summary of the whole decade and, and what we think. But yeah, as, as you said, it's just been such an incredible turnaround. But on um. I guess another sort of, you know, pick your thing of the decade. We're going to do like your goal of the decade now. Um, there have been so many. When you're talking about the, the likes of Suarez, the likes of Coutinho, the likes of, you know, as, there is so, so, so many goals you could use from. Um, I don't mind kicking us off with this. Um, for me, Suarez's second goal against Norwich, the little dink over Anfield, the keeper. 2014. Is outrageous. But that's not my goal of the decade. Oh, okay. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> it's actually another Suarez goal um, against Newcastle where he takes it on the chest, turns, yeah. and that goal for me is the skill, the level of skill he's showing some of the goals, the goals against Norwich, but that Newcastle goal, to take that touch, to turn, to move, it's just an incredible, an incredible piece of play from him as an individual. And that is, that's for me the best goal I've seen in the last 10 years, I think. <laughs> I literally thought of the, the Norwich, the hat-trick was just sublime, wasn't it? And when you said that, I was like, oh, well. But then I thought probably the best goal of this decade was probably the worst goal we've scored, Divock Rigi against Everton, because, you know, it wasn't out of anything <laughs> wonderful. There was no technique oh, to it. it. <laughs> you know, I feel like for fans, a lot of fans, that's the goal they remember of just, you know, especially for what Liverpool were going to do. You know, and then... Similar goals like that seem to just happen for Liverpool. Obviously, the one against Tottenham. It's not my best goal. I don't say it's my best goal because... Your favourite, though. I think it's one of them because of what it meant. And just, you know, you, you win the game in the, the dying seconds through... Virgil van Dijk's got his back to it because he still oh, absolutely yeah. blasted that into the cop. And then, you know, it turns around and all this happens and then... You know, the internet was wild after that, wasn't well, it? Klopp was on the you pitch, know? wasn't he? So. Yeah. <laughs> got fined for it, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Yeah. Yeah. So, not that goal for the actual skill of it, but, like, just for what it meant. I think probably it's hard to pick, like, the best quality goal because this team scores some ridiculous goals. Um, I mean, that second goal against City, you could argue, is one of the best we've scored in the last 10 years as yeah. well. The Trent left for Robertson. That, it's just, that's a sensational piece of play, so... That there's there's plenty to choose from. I mean, everyone has their own opinion. I'm sure if you do, let us know on Twitter. <laughs> so for me, I mean, you could choose Suarez against Norwich, Daniel Sturridge in the Europa League final, Suarez against Norwich again, any one of Steven Gerrard's goals, any one of Philip Coutinho's goals, Jordan Henderson against Manchester City, Suarez against Norwich again. Um, but the one I went for was corner taken quickly, Rigi 4-0. Just because of how 
just how important it was and how inventive it was and how much he just caught Barcelona off guard. And for Trent Alexander-Arnold to have the the speed of thought to try it and then the ability to pull it off and then for Uri to, to, to spot it and then have the ability to keep it down under the bar um, and the importance of it all just just all rolled into one. So I, I went with that one. Yeah, I mean, every single one is as, as fair a shout as any really, isn't there? But yeah, as I say, there's, there'll be many up for debate about this, I think. Um, the last sort of subcategory in this decade is your moment of the decade. And I'd like to start us off with this one because you could go for corner taking quickly. You could go for the actually lifting the Champions League trophy. You could, there's so many things you go for. But I think for me, I think the catalyst, and it might be a bit of an odd shout, the sort of turning point was when the new main stand opened. I think it totally transformed Liverpool as a football club. It showed massive ambition from the club. Obviously, you know, the amount of money they spent on it and it changed Anfield as a stadium. It dramatic, like that. I remember that first game when it opened in 2016 after, you know, the atmosphere inside there was, it was crazy with that massive main stand in front of it. And I think that just kind of, it just gave something to Liverpool that they hadn't had before. Um, and sort of gave the club a change and put them in almost in like a new direction. And I know obviously you could argue that for Jurgen Klopp, but I, ju- I just think the stand for me is, you know, my piece de resistance. Well argued. Do I have to? <laughs> so much. Um, I don't know. You speaking about that, that Origi goal against Barcelona, I feel like like being at that match, I think that is the, the greatest night in Anfield that, that ever will be the greatest night of my life almost, even though, you know, went to Madrid and watched them actually lift the trophy, which is obviously more important because you actually get your hands on it. Nothing was won that night other than a, a ticket to the final, wasn't it? But I just, I've never felt an energy, a collective spirit around Anfield. You knew, like, as soon as you stepped in, going up into the ground, I was like, a little bit like, probably messy, you know, he's going to be running out of swords. I've never heard it so loud as mm. that. Ever and I've just I've never experienced nothing like it. You just knew it was like you were on this like just this wave of this is happening, and you just knew. And I think it was only one nil, wasn't it, a half time? And then yeah. you know there was still that. It's I don't know. It's a, it's hard to explain, but I think everyone listening will know it was just a feeling, and we knew it was going to happen. And then obviously when all the the players are singing, you'll never walk alone at the end of the game in front of the cop. I just. I'd love to just, if I could just replay one moment in my life, I think it would just be that because it was just so special. And I know videos have been, they, they keep re-emerging, don't they? But, I don't um, think they'll ever stop re-emerging, yeah, to be honest. Someone posted this week Fabinho, like some, like watch Fabinho when, you know, they were all still hugging and he's like, it, the passion in his face is, and just, I don't know, they all look quite close to tears, didn't they? I think there was a few probably tears, but I don't think I'll ever feel that high ever again after a football match of just... You know, because when, when we won in Madrid, it felt like amazing, but you sort of, you knew it was coming from really, we, you just felt like it was going to happen. Yeah, yeah, you did, to be honest. It I was, think that we played Tottenham in Madrid as well. I just think we had to beat like them 20 seconds, all the way know, through. It wasn't so. even really close, was it? And Tottenham kind of gone to pop by that point. But yeah, I totally understand to get to that point, you needed that moment. So yeah, it's a, it's a fair shout. And I went for the moment of Rigi scored in Madrid just because I just felt... It was, um, I mean, people who watch who've watched Liverpool closely over the, the last few years have known that they've been close to something special under Jurgen Klopp, and they know that they've got a, an elite manager. 
and one of the world's best playing squads. But while he didn't have any tangible silverware to show for it, it was always a case of, oh, but what have they won? What have they won? And it was it was an easy accusation to throw back. Whenever Liverpool fans were feeling that there was something to be optimistic about and something to be positive about, it was always, but what have they won? So that moment was just vindication of, of everything that Klopp has worked for for four years. The squad that he's built, um, all the players who've bought into what he's what he's trying to do and, and what he has done. The moment that went in, all the criticism and naysayers just basically fell silent because that was the moment that this is what they've won. They finally won the, the biggest trophy in world football uh, three weeks after finishing runners-up with 97 Premier League points. So I think that was just the, the biggest moment of the decade for me just because of it, what it proved really to, to outsiders outside of you know following Liverpool. And I guess as well it's a springboard you know, it's yeah. a springboard to what they're doing right now, what we're watching them do, what they you know, could do again this season. Um, if they don't win that, I think that hurts so much more than so much as what has gone before. Yeah, because I think if they hadn't, they hadn't won the Champions League last season, they, they'd be in the position now and there's a little bit of doubt over can this team, again, from the outside, can this team get over the line? Can this team win something? And maybe inside the camp that that has an effect somewhere along the line and there's like a bit of self-doubt. But now do you know that this is a squad good enough to win the biggest trophy in, in club football. So why can't they go on and, and just add to it? And I think just little things like winning the Super Cup as well, that just adds to that kind of winning men- mentality and the more the teams are successful, it seems to just breed more success. So um, the Champions League win was, was, was the big moment. Yeah, fair enough. And there is, again, so many moments, you know, in the, probably the last five years that you could, you could pick out the last three years, maybe. Mm. But yeah, I'd say that's all as good as any, really. Um, I think what we'll do now probably is, you know, give a summary of the decade. Because if you go back now to 2010, and at the end of 2010, you've got Hicks and Gillette in. Um, Liverpool are in rack and ruin, basically. Hodgson's in the dugout. You've got people like Paul Koncheski playing. They're only off the bottom of the Premier League in October by goal difference. And it's a really sorry state. And... I think for any Liverpool fan remembering that time, following the club at that time, it's a really difficult period to remember um, because obviously this is such a great club and a world-renowned club and a well-beaten club and they were just, yeah, as I say, in ruins. Um, but obviously if what we've just discussed and where they are now, it's it's probably one of the most progressive decades of any club in world football, I would, I would suggest. Um, give me your thoughts. August. <laughs> I think Liverpool were kind of indebted to their own standing in world football when the Royal Bank of Scotland wanted their money back because they could have been a lot harsher in their financial sanctions yeah. and so and whatever. But the fact that it was Liverpool Football Club, a worldwide institution, probably meant that they were a little bit more lenient than they might have been to other, you know, organisations. Liverpool were quite fortunate there, really, um, and obviously narrowly avoided administration in the before FSG come in in October 2010. And slowly but surely, they've they've dragged the club up. Um, they haven't always got things right, and and they've been the first to say that. You know, such things like the the ticket walkout when they were yeah. planning to, to raise ticket prices and so on. And but they, <clears throat> I think they have listened to fans, and and they have they've done it properly. They haven't they, they haven't got the money of Manchester City. They haven't been able to 
throw hundreds of millions at it every single transfer window and start afresh and, and you know, whatever. They've, they seem to have done it right. And, and I think, obviously, employing Jürgen Klopp in October 2015 was the, the catalyst for everything that Reds fans are enjoying at the moment. Um, so I think the owners have got to take an awful lot of credit for what, what fans are witnessing at the moment, on and off the pitch. So many things are going Liverpool's way. The looking like they're going to have a player who's going to win the Ballon d'Or. They've just won the Champions League. They're eight points clear at the top of the Premier League as we head in towards the end of this decade. Um, it is night and day to, to where they were at when, when the, the you know the, the turn of the decade and the dying days of Rafa Benitez's reign and the early, you know, short-lived reign of Roy Hodgson. It is just so such a marked transformation, and uh, the owners John Henry and. Tom Vernon and, and whoever else, they've got to take a massive amount of credit for what we're able to enjoy at the moment. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, just on that as well, I've never known Liverpool to be so quick to, you know, like, like the shirt sleeve sponsors. Almost as soon as that was announced, Liverpool had one. They were one of the yeah. first teams to have a shirt sponsor. There's more money coming in. Just They seem to just be so well aware as on and off the pitch where the club are and where the club are going, which again is, is so much down to the owners. But Keevy, how, how, how are you feeling after this sort of last 10 years? <sighs> it's, it starts out, doesn't it? Liverpool are on the brink almost of just... You can't quite tell because you're in it, so you don't know that it's happening. Like the dark days of Roy Hodgson's reign and stuff like that. You would just go into the match and not really... You knew it was bad, Liverpool weren't winning games, but you, you never really know how bad it is. And then you kind of block it out in a way when the success does eventually come at the end of the decade. And you, you look back now and think, wow, Liverpool were like on the brink of just collapse really and um, to go yeah. from that the transformation it might be up there is like other than found in the clubs you know because it's quite obviously recent but that transformation on the pitch and off the pitch has just been remarkable and obviously you've got to give massive credit as well to the owners they just seem savvy like you say they, they just get it and obviously we had American owners and then t- to get American owners again, it was the fans were, could yeah. this be the yeah. same? You know, there was that, it wasn't met with, you know, oh, these are going to win us the Champions League in 2019. It it wasn't met like that. And I think slowly over time, like you mentioned the main stand, those little moments of progress, I, I just think right now, at the end of this decade, Liverpool are in the best, the best place ever. And, not a lot of clubs or fans can say that about the clubs, can they? Um, but to go from where we was to that in ten years is a long time. You know, I would, would have just been leaving school, and you know, you, you you dream about your football team doing great things, and now this football team are doing great things. You know, and I think you know the fans have got to enjoy this now because what a what a ride that was that that last decade. What I would say as well is um, FSG took. Jürgen Klopp on as the manager in October 2015. Now, um, us as football fans can objectively look at that and know that Klopp as a top manager was a top manager as further as reputation is now. Probably him and Guardiola as as the two elite managers in world football at the moment. So they've obviously got to be praised for that decision. Now, if they're they're taking on appointments um, of that calibre, or the football side of things, then they're doing the exact same on the business side of things as well. We're obviously not as well equipped to, to judge and make make those judgments for you know the likes of Billy Hogan and and even Michael Edwards, who's the sporting director. But it it does appear as though they are making the right calls and in, in the right areas for pretty much every facet of the club. Yeah, certainly, and I mean, basically, what this has all led up to is 
excitement for the next 10 years of Liverpool Football Club because as you've briefly mentioned there, I don't think Liverpool have probably ever been in a better position on and off the pitch as a collective. Um, obviously, they've won, they had amazing teams in the 70s and 80s when they were winning everything. But actually, as a whole, as a whole club, I think Liverpool are in an unbelievable position right now. And I think it would be really difficult to argue for anybody to say that Liverpool were in a better time at any stage throughout history. So for me, I'm super excited for what this next period holds. Um, obviously, you know, Klopp and FSG won't last forever. But for the foreseeable, I don't see anything else coming to sort of rock the boat. Um, no, I mean, Jürgen Klopp's still got three years left on his contract. Can't imagine a world in which he steps down before then. Um, so, yeah, Liverpool fans have just got to enjoy the here and now and, and see where they end up over the next two or three years. Yeah. And to think, I said this has been a hard decade, well, half of it, but... The last thirty years, we obviously it's going to be a, you know the title drought. We haven't never won the Premier League. Obviously, we've won eighteen league titles, but I feel like if we can end that at the start of the, like this next the, decade, first, could be yeah. just you, you, you dream. You, you, you just know, don't know. It's just, oh, so exciting. But super positive right now for everything Liverpool and everything Liverpool will be well and truly back when we come back to you on Friday. Um, we'll have some. Chats with Jurgen Klopp at the press conference with Paul Gorse and a game to look forward to at Crystal Palace. But in the meantime, thank you very much for listening and have a great week. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.